many of you who watch your gas gauge? How many of you who know ahead of time and plan for when you're going to get gas? A few of you do. All right. How many of you wait until the little light bings? All right. And you know, at least in my case, that the gas tank, when it gets to the bing sign, I do not have a lot left because the gas gauge is just a little funky. But you see, I want to get my fuel points. So I want to be able to get to the gas station where I can get my fuel points. Anybody else want to get their fuel points? I do. I'm not sure how, it sa how much it saves over a year, but I do it anyway. All of us need to be fueled up. All of us need to be able to fill our tank. Isn't there a cereal that's like Tony Tiger who's going to fill your tank? What is that? Exxon. All right, that was, that was Exxon. That's good. All right. And Frosted Flakes. All right, so there are two different images here. All right. So we need to be fueled in body. I have a grandson who has a long, thin drink of water, and he is always hungry, always hungry. Some people get cranky when they get hungry. Any of you get cranky? A couple people might, yeah, yeah. But we also might get cranky if we haven't been filled up spiritually or emotionally. We are, in fact, running on empty. And there are things that cause that. We have scheduled our lives to overflowing, and we just have no downtime. We have children's schedules, and they're scheduled all the time, and we've got to get them places. Or our work is so stressful that we come home exhausted. Or we're caring for a frail parent or parent. And we go from work to dealing with parents to dealing with home, and there's just not a lot left. Or it could be that we are so seeking to be faithful day by day, and yet we've never quite made the time for prayer, to fill up our tanks with prayer and with love. Paul has two prayers. I call them the filler-up prayers in Ephesians. Actually, the whole letter is girded on with prayer. They are amazing prayers. I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I pray, I think of you and give thanks. Every time he thinks of the people of faith around him, he gives thanks. He calls them to mind. But I do more than thank. I ask, ask the God of our Master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. He's praying that each one here may come to know the presence, the life-giving presence of Christ like a 70-year-old member of this congregation who taught Sunday school, who'd done youth group, who'd gone on mission trips, 
And finally, she told me, after years of Bible study and prayer, she knew deep down that God loved her. To make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he is calling you to do. To grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. There are folks in this congregation who are so focused on the love of Christ, it just spills out of them. I see it. I see it in a lot of people in this congregation. They've gotten some kind of taste of the extravagance of God's love. And then there's this prayer from Ephesians 3. My response is, to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his Spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. I ask him that with both feet planted firmly in love. All right, everybody plant both feet. Feel the ground. Just imagine for a minute that the ground you stand on is the ground of love. That you're actually upheld by the love of God. You will be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb its depth. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything you know far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply deeply and gently within us. One mom this week said, it really doesn't make sense, but she wasn't going to analyze it, that all day long she just started to pray for her family. The spirit was living in her. This sense of prayer all day. I saw Johnny Walker and Tom Holloway over at George Mason's school this week. Now, Tom is, what, six feet two, maybe? He's a tall gentleman, white hair, lovely human being. And then I saw Johnny as well. Johnny's somewhat shorter and dark. And they were talking, and I can't remember the student's name. Mark Well. Mark Well is a second grader. And Tom, tall Tom, Caucasian Tom, was saying to Mark Well, Johnny and I are brothers. And Mark Well looked a little confused. And he said, Really, we're brothers. And then he saw me coming and he said, And there's my sister. 
And I said, it's right. They are brothers, but there's one difference, maybe two. One of them is taller. And I bet you one is older. And then Johnny and Tom started laughing about who was older, and Markwell looked real confused. But in them, there was the love of Christ, Christ's eyes. Christ's eyes that sees that we're all brothers and sisters together. And them is the strength to do what needs to be done with small children who don't have much of a chance in life. And one of the amazing things about the love of God is when we even get a taste of it, we want more of it. And when we get a little more of it, we want to give it away because Christ's love ends up in generosity We want to spread it around like butter on a fresh piece of hot bread. We want it to melt into other people's lives and give flavor to the world. Peter? very difficult work, but it's a work that has to be done. They are our stewardship chairs for 2014, and I hope you will use any opportunity that you have to tell them how much what they are doing means to you. So here goes. Um, This year happens to mark Blanche's, my wife's, and my 30th stewardship season Uh, at First Presbyterian. We've heard some wonderful messages on this particular day each year for 30 years and trying to identify uh, some common themes. Uh, I came up with two that seem to reappear and reappear. Uh, One is, believe it or not, why should we give? And the other, which is its companion theme is, what should we give? And I realize that's a pretty testy subject. Uh, These seem to be the right themes, and I will stick with them this morning. I consider our church as an investment, a collective investment, yours and, and mine. Almost always, though, when we think about an investment, it's stocks or bonds, or it's real estate, or it may well be one of these esoteric financial instruments that have been born in the last 10 years. They are transient in nature. They come and soon they're gone, 
they are in and out of fashion, and what financial investment doesn't involve risk? E even homeownership, as each of you know, proved to be a disastrous investment for millions of families in this country in recent years. Our church, on the other hand, is a very different kind of investment. It doesn't declare dividends. It doesn't pay interest. It doesn't require an understanding of yields or how maturities affect yields. You can't check its value in the Wall Street Journal. So exactly what kind of investment is it? It's no worldly investment, that's for sure. I would suggest that it's an eternal investment, that eternity is closer to the mark. Think about it. First Church has existed for over 200 years, and that to me is remarkable in itself. Over time, it has grown and it's prospered. It has been served by 12 senior pastors. It has produced generations of lay leaders and devoted congregants. It has launched new churches. It has survived wars, wars, recessions, and the Great Depression. It has weathered divisive social, moral, and theological issues not to mention continuous denominational, denominational squabbling. Through it all, First Church has proved to be an investment for the long haul, a risk-free investment. If there's any risk at all, I would suggest that it lies in the possible faltering or failure of our own personal commitment to keep it strong and vital. At this particular time of year, my wife Blanche and I began thinking about our FPC personal commitment in the form of a financial contribution. We have heard all, all of the stewardship entreaties. For example, give sacrificially. How about this one? Give from your first fruits and not your leftovers. Tithe as scripture directs, know that what we have we lose. Rather, what we keep that we have we lose. For the two of us, all these boil down simply to being as generous as we are able. Scripture provides many insights about that word generosity. For example, the story of the widow's might, she gave not out of her abundance, but rather her poverty. And then there's the story of Mary's gift to Jesus of precious ointment, considered by observers to be completely, completely foolish and totally wasteful. And finally, another example, the example of Dorcas's lifelong, <clears throat> lifelong work ministering to the poor of Joppa, through acts of kindness and generosity, and Peter's restoring her from death to life. Just as it was for these, generosity for us is deeply personal, it's thoughtful, it's from the heart. It has been described as an expression of thankfulness. 
So what, is exa- <coughs> what exactly is generous for you and me? Uh, if we are struggling, I believe that God can help us with that answer. We are his son's church in the world, and he has a vested interest <coughs> in our getting it right. We're here today because generous, generous generations have preceded us. They have brought us to this point. Presently, we are contemplating transformational initiatives, just as each of them did in their own time. New initiatives will certainly shape our future. They will require our time and talent and a personal commitment of generosity. Christ Church represents an investment in the kingdom. It is a sound investment indeed. Good morning. When Cynthia Haw called and asked me to give this talk, I was out at lunch during my normal work day. I work in security for the government, so naturally it's quite a contrast when a sweet voice like Cynthia's calls from the Presbyterian Church. The first thing I thought of when Cynthia mentioned stewardship during that work day were the words force multiplier. A force multiplier is defined as something that dramatically increases the effectiveness of a group. From a security perspective, force multipliers are commonly found in morale, technology, training, experience, recruitment, strategy. Coincidentally, these are also all the resources that go into the successful operation of a church. I believe the ultimate force multiplier for our church is our pledges. I try to stay as active in our church as possible, both through small groups and now the strategic planning process. However, there are often times when I fall short. I don't make meetings or turn in reports due to competing priorities like work, travel, childcare, or even the commute from the far west end where I live. However, there is one thing that I know I can do every month to help sustain our church, even when I'm not here, and that is to send my pledge. My pledge, no matter its size, will help to keep the lights on, put paper in the copier, buy cookies for Sunday morning, and hopefully contribute to our church's much larger goals. My pledge is a way that even as one person, I can make our church better every day. Remember, each person's pledge multiplies the power at work within us. A couple of years ago, we invite the band to come forward. We were studying a book called Fruitful Living, and it talked about our giving a tithe, 10%. Our proportional giving actually actually as an act of our trusting God in advance with our lives. A symbol of the fact that we believe God will be there today and tomorrow. 
As an act of trust and gratitude, let us take the morning offering. <laughs> 